Well, good afternoon, everyone. So yes, for those who don't know me, my name is uh, yeah, Dan Wake, and as Sophie said, I'm part of the leadership team here. And yeah, it's really lovely to see you all uh, here this afternoon, and also grateful, which camera am I looking in? But I'll look at all of them. Grateful for those who are joining us online as well. There we go. Yeah, I guess, it's, and it's my privilege this afternoon to be carrying on on one of our strands of messages uh, that we are delivering this term, looking at Romans 12. So before we dive in, I just also want to just pray very briefly. Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. Holy Spirit, would you come and fill each one of us with your presence, we ask. And Lord, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful for the scriptures. And as we dive into Romans 12 uh, this afternoon, Lord, would you speak to us, we pray. Give us ears to hear your voice. Give us hearts to receive all that you have for us this afternoon. And Lord, we long to encounter you today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So in my family, we're fond of a game called Would You Rather. Have you come across it? I don't know. But in case you haven't, let's have a quick game, shall we? That's always a good way to start, isn't it? Okay. So would you rather... Would you rather only eat savoury foods for the rest of your life? <laughs> you don't know what's coming next. Or would you rather only eat sweet foods for the rest of your life? You can only choose one. So hands up if you'd only eat savoury foods for the rest of your life. Ooh, if you, yeah, okay. If you'd only eat sweet foods. Oh, savoury. Yeah, but you wait until you start thinking about it. As we were doing this question around the table yesterday, my daughter was like... Oh, definitely sweet. Oh, but then I wouldn't have had a pizza, would I? You know, so. All right, let's get another one. So would you rather have hiccups for the rest of your life? Oh, (laughs) wait. (laughs) Always feel like you're about to sneeze. Oh, I know these are tricky, aren't they? So have hiccups the rest of your life. Oh, there's, oh there's what, was that one up there maybe? Okay, okay. Or always feel like you're about to sneeze. Okay, that's pretty clear. Some of you aren't voting either, are you? It's too hard. Okay, final one. And let's be, this is actually going pretty well. We should maybe just play the game for a little half. Okay. Okay, would you rather have the superpower of flight? Oh, yes. Straight away over there. Have the superpower of invisibility. Ooh. Okay, who would have that superpower of flight? Okay, good number. And how about invisibility? Oh, okay. I think flight wins that one. Very good. Okay, that concludes our gaming time, unfortunately. Sorry. Okay. So on that theme of superpowers or superheroes... Hulk, Captain America, Iron Man, Black Widow, Captain Marvel, Hawkeye, Thor, Spider-Man, and there are others. But who are these characters and what do they belong to? They are, of course, fictional, fictional superheroes in what is known as the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And they form an assembly of superheroes called the Avengers. And whilst they each have their own powers, their gifts and their talents... And there are stories told in films, in the individual films. There are times when they come together 
in order to defeat a common evil or threat. Now, of course, there are times when they get competitive, as you can imagine, about their own superpowers and gifts. There's a lot of ego in the room when they are together. But ultimately, their strength comes when their powers, their gifts, and their talents are used together, not only for the benefit of the group, but also for the wider community and ultimately the whole world. Yes, of course, this analogy will fall short. Analogies will always do, always do. But I think it serves as an illustration of what I want to share today from Romans 12. And so as I was reading through Romans 12 over the last few weeks in preparation for my message today, I kept coming back to the middle part of the chapter, verses 3 to 8. And so I'm trusting that the Spirit's prompting and trusting in the Spirit's prompting and that God has something for us together in these verses. Before we read verses 3 to 8, let's have a very brief look at the letter as a whole. As looking at the big picture always helps us to understand what's going on in chapters and verses. Okay, I've said what time is it? It's just a good question to ask. What time is it in their time when... Yes, thank you. Okay, the red letter... Okay, the letter to the churches in Rome was written at some time around AD 57. We know from the opening uh, words of the letter that it is Paul, the apostle, who is writing this letter to the churches in Rome. And Paul is in Corinth. The letter was carried and delivered to the churches in Rome by Phoebe, who was a leader in the church in Cancrae, a port in Corinth. It is possible, maybe likely, that she was also the one who would have read the letter to the churches, maybe even explained it and taught it. Paul is writing to both Jewish and Gentile followers of Jesus in the Roman churches. A Gentile Gentile is generally anyone who is non-Jewish. Sometime around the late AD 40s, the Roman emperor at the time, Claudius, had expelled all the Jews from Rome. So this lasted about five years until Claudius' death, at which point the Jews were able to return uh, to Rome. The Jewish followers of Jesus returned to the church then, which had become very non-Jewish in its nature and practices. And you can easily understand how this could happen. And so there are divisions in the churches around things like food laws, the Sabbath, and circumcision. The Gentile believers simply don't have the same history, the same heritage and traditions as the Jewish believers. And so it is to this that Paul writes. Paul's motivation is for the Jewish and Gentile believers to be unified in their faith in Jesus so that the gospel can go forward. Paul's desire is also that the church in Rome becomes a base for him and the gospel to go further west into Spain. Paul wants them to know that they are all part of the new humanity in Jesus and that they are one body, they are one group, they are one family together regardless of their ethnicity. That is Paul's motivation for writing to the churches in Rome. Now let's read it together.
For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given each of you, given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not have all the same function. Sorry, there we go. So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to the others. We have different gifts according to the, to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophecy, prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. In the opening verses of chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Paul speaks about our true and proper worship. And also being transformed by the renewing of our minds. How that fitting worship and renewing of mind is expressed is unpacked by Paul in verses 3 and onwards. What follows are pictures of the way of life that the followers of Jesus are called to. So let's read verse 3 again. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. One of the things I personally aspire to embody in who I am and in the things I do is humility. Not thinking more highly of myself than I ought. And maybe I don't always do this well. I'll let others and God be the judge of that. But I hope I do that well most of the time. I know at times I may well go the opposite direction, opposite way, probably like some others of you, and probably don't think much of myself. And to be clear, I don't think Paul is saying we have a low view of self. After all, each one of us is created in the image of God. We are representatives of God on this earth. I believe God loves each of us for who we are. Paul's point is not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. To think of yourself with sober judgment means to be of a modest or humble mind. See, humility wasn't a trait uh, that you'd find in the social life of ancient Rome. Humility was for the inferiors. In ancient Rome, it was about the pursuit of raising your status and honor. Raising yourself above others was the goal. Paul's concern is that this thinking more highly of oneself or pursuit of superior status, power and privilege was creeping into the church. For Paul, there is no place for this in the church. Paul is clear. He expects the opposite of all these Christian believers, whether Jew or Gentile. He expects humility, not self-promotion. Why? Because cultivating humility in oneself and in the community as a whole is for Paul 
a way to pursue unity. And this cultivation of humility is in the context of the faith, the calling, the stewardship that God has placed upon their lives. Paul goes on in verses 4 to 8 to provide a basis for why they are not to view themselves more highly than they ought. Let's look again at verses 4 and 5. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Here Paul is appealing for and affirms diversity within unity. He begins by speaking about the church as like a human body. Just as the one body has many parts, which function in many different ways, and belong to the one body, so too is the church like this. Though there are many followers of Jesus, there, are also, there is also one church. Not only, only are there many followers, but each one has different gifts and different functions in the church. Yet there is still one church, and they all still belong to one another. And this is exactly why Paul says that believers should not think more highly of themselves than they should. Because though they are many, they are one. And they are dependent upon one another. I think this body metaphor is a great one to use. The different parts of the body with different functions are reliant upon the others. It might be all well and good celebrating how amazing the brain is, and it really is. But if there's no heart to pump blood to the brain, or if there are parts of the sorry, or other parts of the body to provide information such as eyes, ears, fingers, nerves, then how exactly can the brain function? It cannot function on its own. It is dependent upon the rest of the body. And it's also important to state that the Roman society would also have likened themselves to a human body. So when Paul describes the gathered community of believers as being like a human body, he is doing it deliberately as the alternative to Roman society and with a new emperor, Lord Jesus. And this alternative body, the church, is not about power, it's not about privilege, it's not about status, but about dependency, equality, and humility. Diversity of gifts is to be celebrated within the church community. And Paul's primary concern here in speaking about the body is to address the temptation to compare and also of false pride. And that leads us to verses 6 to 8. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. And if it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. (laughs) Paul goes on to list some of these different gifts, which it is important to note. We are told are given according to the grace given to each of us. In other words, the gifts are given graciously, by God to the people in the church. They are not earned, and they are given to be exercised or used for the common good 
of the church. The gifts mentioned here are prophesying, serving, teaching, encouraging, giving, leading, and showing mercy. It is worth pointing out that this is certainly not meant to be read as an exhaustive list from Paul of gifts needed in the church. In different New Testament letters written by the Apostle Paul, he lists different gifts. Just read 1 Corinthians 12 or Ephesians 4. Either Paul mentions the particular gifts he does does based on the needs of the particular congregation being addressed, or it could be a summary of the types of gifts churches have. And these gifts are to be used and done so faithfully and to the best of our ability. When Paul says, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy according to your faith. If it is in serving, then serve it. If it is in teaching, then teach. If it is in encouraging, then give encouragement, etc., etc. It is about releasing that gift. It is in release that gift, the whole body benefits, is united through its dependence on one another and moves towards flourishing. So having looked at Romans 12, 3 to 8, and unpack some of what is going on in the text, what does this have to do with you or I? And probably more importantly, what does this have to do with us in the hub? There are four things I wanted to draw from the text that I think speak to us today. So firstly... Let's not think uh, of ourselves more highly than we ought. Let's embody humility. It wouldn't be right to give a message uh, without a quote from a hero of mine, uh, Eugene Peterson. You knew that was coming, didn't you? (laughs) Okay, of the church, Peterson says this. The biblical fact is that there are no successful churches. Sorry. There are instead communities of sinners gathered before God week after week in towns and villages all over the world. The Holy Spirit gathers them and does his work in them. That's from a book called Working the Angles. I find that quote quite a powerful reminder that none of us has earned our place in the church community because of any accomplishments any accolades, any achievements or social status. We're here because of Jesus' life. We're here because of his death and his resurrection and his forgiveness and his relational restoring work on the cross and because of the Holy Spirit gathering us week after week to transform us. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. Let's be humble in our faith together. And also when it comes to exercising the gifts and talents God has given to each of us, it will help build the church, cultivate unity, and move us towards a flourishing church in and through the work of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, we are many members in one body together, and we belong to one another in Christ Jesus. We will do well to remember that each of us is created in the image of God, whatever our background, ethnicity, social status, etc., etc. And each of us here today, those watching online, and those who consider this their church community, are part of the one body, one church community. 
We all have different gifts. We all have different talents. And each of us needs the other for this community to flourish. I think the Apostle Paul would be appealing for us to view ourselves as equal before God. Dependent upon one another and not elevating one person or gift above another. This isn't just about being nice Christians. Just as in ancient Rome where Paul's appeal to the church for oneness in diversity countered the Roman culture, so too should we in the hub be forming, cultivating and nurturing a kingdom culture where all are equal and each gift is valued as equal, an equal and valued contribution to the church community, regardless of anyone's ethnicity, social status, role or gifting. In doing so, I believe it will help build the church, cultivate unity, and move us towards a flourishing church in and through the work of the Holy Spirit. One final thought here. In what ways can you be forming a culture of the kingdom in your workplaces, in your businesses, in your social circles, in your places of education, and in your families or friendships? where you sow to a culture of dependency on others and of equal value. Okay, and thirdly, we all have different gifts given by a gracious God. To return to the essence of the Eugene Peterson quote very briefly, it doesn't matter what functional gift you may be exercising in the church. Those in leadership are just sinners amongst other sinners in the community. Those who teach are just sinners amongst other sinners in the community. Those who prophesy are just sinners amongst sinners. And I could go on. But the point is not to labor on our sinful nature. The point is that it is because of God's sacrificial love for his church that he gives gifts and talents to those sinners, me and you. To some he gives the gift of hospitality. To some he gives an evangelistic gift. To some he gives the gift of compassion. To some the gift of musicality. To some the gift of befriending. We haven't earned these gifts. They are given by grace. They are different gifts which are needed to build up, unite and lead the community to flourishing. Can I suggest reflecting in what gifts or talents you think God has given you? If you're anything like me, there's been times when I've wondered what my gifts are. What are you good at? What do you enjoy? And what brings life to you? And what brings life to others? And if you're not sure, ask someone in the community that you know and trust. Have a conversation with them. Ask someone, sorry, and ask them what gifts they see in you. Some of you will know Viv Duke, who used to be in East Community Church. I grew up in that church. I remember Viv regularly reminding us that each one has. I think he was spot on. Finally and fourthly, The Holy Spirit has given us gifts 
And the church needs us to use our gifts. God has given each of us gifts and talents to help the church to be built up, to flourish, and for God's mission in the world. We see some of these gifts and talents exercised week after week in various church community gatherings. But there are many gifts and talents which are at work behind the scenes, in one-on-one situations behind closed doors, in small groups, in community halls, and in day-to-day interactions. I'm grateful to our musicians who lead us in worship and into God's presence week after week. I'm grateful to those who have a pastoral caring gift who simply out of who they are and the gift of the Holy Spirit has given them care for people in and around our church community. I'm thankful for those who welcome on the door each Sunday and for those who serve refreshments after the service. You're not just fulfilling a task. You're cultivating a culture of welcome and hospitality and an environment for fellowship and deepening relationships. I'm appreciative of those who labor each week setting up these gatherings. Again, you help create an opportunity for us to meet with God together. To those who give financially to the church and to others doing kingdom work, we're grateful. Your generosity enables and empowers. For the mercy givers, those feeding the hungry, providing shelter to the homeless, we're humbled, we're inspired. And thankful for your gift. To those who gift it is to work with our young people or children, we're so grateful to you. To the encouragers, please keep encouraging. We all need encouragement in our lives and in this community. Thank you. There are, of course, many gifts and no doubt people not included in what I've said. But God knows your gifts. And the way you give and the way you serve this community to build it up, to unify it, to enable it to flourish and for God's kingdom to grow. God knows and this community is richer for you. Wouldn't it be fantastic to see more people operating and flourishing in their gifts in this community? In what ways do you see yourself being able to help build up, serve the community, and and cultivate an environment for the people around you to flourish. Again, have a conversation with someone you know well and trust about ways you think you could help serve this community and God's mission to the world around us. To close, I want to bring us full circle. I use the illustration at the start of the Avengers the fictional superheroes who come together to use their gifts for the common good and to defeat the evil powers which seek to disrupt, divide, and destroy. I think Paul would see something similar for the church, whether it be in ancient Rome or Basingstoke today. The church is to be a place where, amongst other things, a multitude of people from diverse backgrounds with different gifts and talents come together in humility for the good of the whole and for the advancement of the gospel and of God's kingdom. And finally, I started with the game, Would You Rather? Can I suggest that we don't play the comparison game when it comes to gifts? That we don't seek position or elevate one gift or person above another? Instead, I would rather be in a community 
where humility is embodied as each of us exercises our Holy Spirit given gifts in this community. Where we openly acknowledge our dependence on one another and practice our gift to the best of our ability for the building up and the uniting of the church and for God's mission to the world around us. That's what I would rather. How about you? Thank you.